Hello and welcome to another selection box from an Irishman Abroad podcast. Our chosen charity partner is, as always, Jigsaw.ie, an incredible Irish charity doing amazing things for youth mental health in Ireland right now. However hard you're finding lockdown, you can be guaranteed that the young people around you and in your life are finding it harder. We all remember how difficult it was to be a young person. Throw a pandemic and some social media in on top of that and you'll realise that Jigsaw.ie are actually saving lives on the daily through this pandemic. Why not pop over there now and see what they're up to and see if there's anything there that can help you or the young people in your life or maybe if you've a couple extra quid you can help them. Well the Selection Box is our new project, a new, I guess it's a Patreon exclusive because patrons get the full version of the show. They get the books, they get the TV, the music and the tech reviews and recommendations. But it's really a show that isn't about reviewing things. This show is about selecting and recommending and kind of uh, purveying the content that's out there and the overwhelm they're all feeling around what to watch, what to read and what to listen to and trusting people like Ethna Shortall to tell us this is good, this is worthy of your time. So Ethna's here with me now. Ethna, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Yes, I hope I live up to that. Oh, but uh, I, yeah, thank you. I'd imagine that you don't have much time for reading yourself. I mean, that's the, this is the one that people are like, oh, I don't have time for that. Yet they'll yeah. gaze at a, str- a screen forever. Yeah, I know that, you know, I think that myself and I like I do read a good bit. But still, you know, when you get your um, weekly reports on your phone for like how much time you spend on your phone and mm. you see the time that's on social media or something that couldn't possibly be work related. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, if I add that up for a week, like that's a book read, you know. Mm. But um, I think like I, I there's like I pretend there's a force field around our stairs and I the phone can't get up them. So the phone never comes to the bedroom and I do most of my reading in bed in like an hour or a couple of hours before I go to bed. Well, so. actually, now that you bring it up, I'll be talking to Una Ming-Kavna later in the show about productivity and technology and how we can actually use it to our benefit. She talks about the Pomodoro method and some oh, very yeah. simple like straightforward, they aren't even tech related techniques to get your work over the line and to avoid that distraction. The force field at the bottom of the stairs is a new one. How is you're in the middle? Uh, if anybody's been following along, Ethna's in the middle of writing a new book and I believe you're redrafting at the moment. Yeah, I got notes from, you know, like when I finish a book, a first draft, I send it to editors and my agents and they all come back with feedback. So I had feedback from like five different people. And like, sometimes it'll be completely conflicting. Like one person's like, I love this element. And someone else will pinpoint that element as part that they think doesn't work. So then you make your own choices. But like often they'll all agree that something doesn't work. And I'll already have been half thinking it didn't work. So anyway, I take those notes and I go Mm. back and I redraft. So I did nothing over Christmas. And then I've started back re- drafting and actually rewriting some sections so it's second draft but it feels like it's actually getting somewhere now so yes i can i can sort of see a finish line yeah because a couple of the uh, books or one particular book by megan nolan that you recommend this month isn't actually in the world yet yeah so that's like i'm i have three books this month so i haven't read as much in the like i read loads over christmas i was eating books over christmas it was great because i wasn't writing but then when i'm like really really in the throes so when i'm such as redrafting 
I don't read. So like I haven't read for the past two weeks, I would say, because I just can't. But I was reading lots before that. So that's kind of where I've gotten the books from. And so I get sent a great part of the job is that I get sent books before they are published. And actually all three books I'm talking about today, two two are published now, but I, I got them last year and I read them over Christmas. And then there's yeah, Megan Nolan's book, which isn't out until March. So I know it's kind of early to recommend, but it's one that people should look out for. Put on a list of, you know, to buy. It's out in early March, so it's not that far away. Um, and it's just that by the time March comes around, I'll have forgotten about it. And I'll be reading some book that's coming out in July, you know, so it's always <laughs> moving forward. Well, you before we get to the recommendations themselves and you telling us a little bit about each book, uh, I want to talk about your documentary, which I guess this crosses over into Rory and Owen's section. But it is a documentary that you've made for the BBC about Mills and Boone. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, like I think most people, I mean, have you ever read of Mills and Boone? I have never not. read them, but I'm well aware of them. Uh, they um, they are like hugely popular with certain readers, but like for a huge, like they've got really loyal readers, but like most people don't, haven't read them and don't know about Mills and Boone. But I find it fascinating, that whole world. So like they are romance novels, but a happy ending. And some of them are very sexually explicit but kind of in a slightly cheesy way you know mm-hmm. denim clad thighs and <laughs> chocolatey caramel eyes staring down at her undressing her etc and then some are much more chaste and you know like they've got historical romance where people just have a peck on the cheek but um but like it's there's quite a lot of snobbery around Mills and Boone as a as a genre of book uh, but there are people writing them that are making huge amounts of money and selling millions and millions of books. And I had interviewed one such author years ago. Her name's Lynn Graham and she lives in Antrim. And um, nobody, like none of her neighbours knew what she did, that she wrote for Mills and Boone. She has written 120 novels and she sold 45 million copies, which is like just... Oh my God. Phenomenal, phenomenal. And her neighbours don't know, nobody, and like... I'm well read, but on, until a few years ago, I've never heard of Lynn Graham. You know, if like if you're not reading Mills and Boone specifically, you don't know her. She doesn't. I did the first ever print interview that she had done. And now for the documentary, this was her first ever TV interview because she she doesn't want publicity. She doesn't want people to know who she is. And she just writes her books quietly away. So, yeah, I made a documentary and it's basically it centers on three Mills and Boone authors who are living in Northern Ireland. But it's just about that whole world and like how popular those books are like they publish 700 of them a year and like they only stay on the shelves for a month and then they're sent back and they're pulped like they're destroyed so they're almost treated like magazines you know because they're readers like we talked to a librarian and she was saying the people that read Mills and Boone books will go into the library on a Monday take out nine Mills and Boone novels and have them all read by Friday and be oh back to get work like, yeah like that's eating books you know? yeah so, yeah so they nearly yeah. consume them like podcasts Exactly, exactly, exactly. It's not like they're not they're not that long as novels go. They're kind of 50 to 70,000 words. But that's still a huge amount of Mm. words to get through. Because like you say, books is always a thing people say they don't have the time for. But like when you find them as compulsive as fans find Mills and Boone novels, they just they wolf through them. Yeah, like podcasts, like songs, you know, (laughs) like a different form. Well, we Mm. can we can watch it here in the UK on the BBC iPlayer. Is there any chance it's going to come to Ireland, this documentary? No, I've seen, yeah, I, it was on live, like, but afterwards, I mean, no border my foot, you know, you can't get the eye player yeah. here. But um, I, I know, I like, not that I know of, I would love Orsi to show it, but mm. I don't, I have no idea how that works and those dynamics, so I won't hold my breath. Yeah, well, if you have a VPN and you're cheeky, 
you can uh, evade the borders and get yourself onto the BBCI player. Life Sentences by Billy O'Callaghan is your first recommendation. We're going to pull the cover up on screen here as well if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, Tell us a little bit about this. So Life Sentences, Billy O'Callaghan, it is uh, a lovely book. It's um, it's only 220 pages long, but it's like you would call it an epic because it spans. It's all set around Douglas and Cork and it spans from the kind of 1860s, I think, just after the famine up until the 1980s. You know, so it's a huge time span. It's three generations of the same family. It's based on the author's real family. And it, he knew, so it's his grandmother, his great-grandfather and his great-great-grandmother. So, you know, the, mm-hmm. that, that's the three generations. And he knew a lot about his grandmother, but obviously as you go further back, there are less records and there's less memory, living memory and stuff. So I think it gets more fictionalized as, as he goes you know, as, as he goes further back in time. But um, yeah, so it's great. Like it's so I, I'll brief summary. It's the first with three characters. The first character, Jer, is 1920s. Uh, he's come back. He was a soldier in the First World War. He's come back. It's interesting that that's the war they're focusing on as opposed to the War of Independence, which obviously was huge for the whole country, but particularly in Cork. And so it's about it's just about daily life at the time. Like it's not it. It is what you would call literary fiction. It's not twisty. It's not like hugely plot driven. It's a quite, it feels like a very real look at how life was at different points Mm. in time. And so he's in the 1920s and he's living in poverty. And actually what we would definitely class now as extreme poverty. And that's kind of a continuing theme through the three narrators. So there's Jer, then there's his mother who left a small island off the coast of Cork after the famine. Her whole family were wiped out by the famine, except for her. She had the hardest life of all, in and out of workhouses, working as a prostitute, you know, sleeping on straw in the corner of rooms. And that stuff was all is historically accurate and, and has been researched. And then we have the, the kind of most recent generation, so Jerry's daughter. So that's it's set up, up to the 1980s. And again, poverty. And so that is the theme that's running through the three characters, extreme poverty, which sounds so bloody bleak. Mm. But... Like, that was my like first not, thought. Yeah. yeah, it's not happy clappy. But like it isn't so bleak because whilst I read this and I think, well, that's horrendous. How how do people live like that? They are just li- and, and this is to the author's credit. They are just living their lives because they do not know any other life. So mm. they're not going around reflecting on the extremeness of the Well, most of them, I mean, sometimes stuff gets really bad. But in general, they're just like, yeah, this is it. You know, we have two bedrooms and nine children. And, you know, that's how you live. And so actually they managed to find the beautiful moments in life in spite of that. But yeah, so like warning, not very happy, but with a clause of not as depressing as it sounds. Yeah. And And it is very beautiful. Later in the show, we talked to Owen and Rory about and Tom Dunn about music and art that will elevate you out of what you're feeling right now because I guess the theme of today's show is we're all realising we're going to be here longer than we thought Uh, so we do have more time but equally just as when Tom recommends some Nina Simone a book like this or I know it's not an Angela's Ashes type book but it does remind you of the gratitude you need to feel for where we yeah. are and as bad as it is could be worse absolutely and like like you mentioned megan nolan's book which which i'll talk about but like that's a millennial fiction 
not like millennial character, maybe even whatever the generation below millennial is called. Uh, it's quite a knowing narrator, female sexuality is a big part of the story. And that's really what we what the, the biggest trend in contemporary Irish fiction has been at the last couple of years. Young female characters, you know, their own agency and sexuality and things. But the life sentences, the Billy O'Callaghan book is more what I think the world thinks of when they think of Irish fiction, you know, like um, mm. John McGahern sort of style, you know, so it is quite a traditional novel in that way. And like some people are craving that because they they don't like that sort of younger focused, mm. um, more contemporary fiction. So if that's for you, this is for you. OK, and that's actually published a couple of weeks ago. But the next book, uh, The Henna Wars, is that out already or is it on the way? Yes. Is this one that's suitable? Like when you say uh, young adult fiction, what age group is that suitable for? That's teenagers. That's right. who it's aimed at. And it's so it's such a it's such a genre, like it's an age group, but it's also a type of fiction. It's so cutting edge. It's so like what would you say woke? But I don't think that's used in a negative way, but I don't mean it negatively. Like it's very aware of the limitations of stories and publishing up to this point and it's it's trying to do something more diverse and inclusive. So yeah, like it's not for it's not for a ten year old, but it's, you know, for a thirteen to up because actually in recent years YA fiction it's young adult aimed at teenagers, but it's as popular with adults. You yes. And um, yeah. so like that like I love teen dramas, like films exactly, and yeah. TV shows. So oh, I mean look and we talk uh, about high school movies later as well. I still love just that feeling of being back there. It's such yeah, a exactly. carefree time. I know, but I was watching slightly up, I was rewatched Gilmore Girls recently and I was like shocked to realise that I was now Lorelai's age and not Rory's. You know when you realise you're meant to identify with the parents? Yeah, similarly watching You've Been Framed now, I used to marvel at my father's concern for everybody's well-being. Now I am that father. <laughs> <laughs> what is he thinking? This is going to end badly. I can't yeah, watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, but, that's definitely a thing. My partner with our child, like I'm just constantly mocking him. Like danger is everywhere is just his <laughs> mantra you know <laughs> like, everything can go wrong but anyway yes Hen Awards it's um, by an Irish Bangladeshi author called Adiba Jagardar and I would not have read this myself naturally except that I was interviewing her and so I read her book and I loved it um, it's about a Bangladesh it's, it's kind of loose it's not based on her life but the circumstances are the same as the author's life so it's a Bangladeshi Irish teenager in that her parents are fully Bangladeshi and they live and work here and she is part of the Irish culture she goes to school here and you know she's kind of immersed in the two worlds the two cultures I found it just found it genuinely very lovely and very informative without feeling like I was being taught. Like, mm. I don't know anything about Bangladesh. Well, I didn't. I mean, I still don't know much, but a little bit and about how important henna is. But like I say, it's not a lesson. It's basically it's a teenager. She comes out to her parents as gay. They don't like, you know, it's, I was like, oh, how will this go down in a Muslim family? Will it be very conservative? But they don't like lose their shit. They just sort of ignore it and pretend she didn't say anything. And they Quite didn't really an Irish it. move as well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it, that's exactly what I was going to say. So in the book, it's like, this is so Bangladeshi. I was like, uh, this is awful. Well, Irish. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> like, we, just, we just didn't hear that. And 
Yeah, so like I love that. It wasn't like a hugely dramatic response. It was very realistic. And so then anyway, the, the teenager, she sets up a henna business in her school. There's like a transition year business project or whatever. And her company does henna. And then she she fancies a girl in her class. And that girl also does a rival henna business. So it's like, and she's wondering, is this kind of like the when the boy pulls your pigtail in the yard and he's meant to like you? Like, is she, is she, is she, is, is this a sign that she likes her too? Or is she really trying to rival her business? And it's it's a really lovely love story, uh, essentially, b- between teenagers, very contemporary. Hmm. And yeah, like I said, not my usual thing, but I was so charmed by it. Okay, well, uh, I think I've recommended Born to Run enough in the Tuesday podcast with Sonia O'Sullivan. Every week I've recommended this book about ultra marathon running. It's sold over three million copies worldwide. It's made the author a star, but it is one of those books that will accompany you through the range of characters that are in it. I, I it sounds like the life sentences by Billy O'Callaghan would equally be a, a, an audio journey that you could take while out mm. running. Would that be because I know we discussed yeah. whether some books are more suited to audio uh, than others. I personally, I think oh, the best books on audio are pacey books. Well, especially if you're running. And so uh, to me, Billy O'Callaghan's like you're going for a leisurely walk, you know, and you're okay. really taking your time to think about things. And um, I think because the language is the focus more than the plot, I think it might be better read. But I think books that are just like grabbing you, you know, um, and and constantly propelling you forward in the story are I would say the best running books. But then again, I have yeah. not run in a year. So what do I know? Well, yeah. And everyone has their own way of doing it. The One of the things that Sonia is always talking about is trusting your own limits and being present in yourself. Uh, like a lot of what we talk about in the running show isn't about running. It's about life and uh, running's the metaphor. Mm. But similarly, she's brought me to the point where I now view the run as a walk. And that if I can get my heart rate to a level where it feels like I could go, I could keep going now forever. You just walk and walk and walk, run and run and run. Uh, that then, yeah, then this book by Billy O'Callaghan, Life Sentences, might just be the perfect kind of okay. zone out, be there in this man's world. I actually know Megan Nolan. She used to come to shows that I did in the Workman's Club. She would have been a face around town at that time. And then didn't she up sticks and move to London herself? Yeah, I know her a bit as well, but not not, you know, again, from years ago, from just like being out. Mm, you know, yeah, exactly. In Dublin. Yeah. Um, yeah. She lives in London now. She has done for several years. Um, and I she went to Greece for a period and the character in the book is writing some of the book from Greece. Um, but yeah, I like I don't know if it's based on her own experience. I mean, I, I recognize some things and people just from having been around or, or not people, maybe, but places definitely. And, and I have my suspicions on people, but just from being around Dublin at a certain point. But in and of its own right, if you know anything or nothing about her, she, she is um she she writes she writes opinion pieces um for like is it the New Statesman? Mm. Uh, she's written stuff for the Guardian. Is it the New Statesman? I think it is. Um, but uh, anyway, she's kind of written some journalistic pieces uh, before, and she's kind of known for her extremely honest 
essays on very personal experiences mm-hmm. and she does that really well and that is how this book is written it's fiction um, and the, they actually the protagonist a woman in her 20s doesn't have a name so yeah but it's written in that style that is kind of if you like Megan's essays you'll like this I mean it's written in the first person and yeah and basically it's about a girl in Dublin in her 20s and she falls for um falls for a guy uh called Kieran who she see she's seen around she's seen at the library she's seen that like an art opening she thinks he's just breathtakingly beautiful and is just sort of obsessed with him from the off and they start going out and it's but it's not you know it's non-committal and he's very non-committal and a bit cutting in the way he does it and she kind of acts like she enjoys that and that's fine and 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 it's not like she's not a victim either so maybe it is fine maybe it's not it's it's ambiguous but the relationship as as you could probably guess starts off all everyone is obsessed with everyone and it's great and then you know things start to take a downward uh, turn but and but I, I like that she is not just the victim it's not just like he's an arsehole and mm-hmm. you know she's an arsehole too like you know as as the book goes on and she has so many flaws the characters and they're all there but you still empathize with her and you still want the best for her it will like there you know sally rooney is just what every woman um every every book with a female character in the 20s now is compared to and i think readers of Sally Rooney would like this but it's not it's not like it I don't think it's much more personal it feels much more personal I'm not saying it is I don't know but um I, I but I think it's going to appeal to the same audience I mean it's all ready to be huge and I think it deserves great success so yeah, uh, yeah. Act of desperation. Or like if you do want to get a taste before you dive into that, there's plenty of Megan stuff uh, online. And as you say, some of it is devastating, like devastating mm. reading with just this blood on your hands honesty that uh, I'd certainly never come across before in my life until I read uh, these essays that she produced. So I'm delighted. I had no idea that this book was on the way. So I'm delighted for her, first and foremost, that this is happening. And that, as you say, it's it's on the verge of being huge. This has been a really fun chat, Etna, as always. Um, Thank you. I I know that you're you're taking time out of the schedule to do this for us each month. So thank you for that. And we will talk to you next month. Yeah, thank you. You're very welcome to this section of the Selection Box with Una Ming Kavanagh and myself talking about tech. And if you've been listening to the podcast up to now, you'll know that this isn't your usual tech corner where uh, somebody talks to Pat Kenny about an upcoming app. Uh, This is more about concepts of technology and how we can free ourselves from over-reliance upon it. And Una Ming Kavanagh is somebody with a wealth of experience in this area and the task that I put to you this week uh, Una was to come up with things that will actually help our productivity at home given that we're now all aware that we're going to be working from home a good while longer. Yeah and I think this kind of depends on the situation that you're in ultimately because I suppose for me I've worked from home for the past 
I think this is my fourth year, so I kind of I'm used to the process now. There it has been a situation though as well since I've um, gotten out of the the rent market <laughs> that I'm also working from my mom's home, so it's not actually my home. So you know you have to deal with that kind of system as well. It is tough because you have to you know you're going back into your childhood home and you're trying to go back into this routine where you're still the kid. <laughs> How many times have you shouted, "Mom, I'm working in here." So many times, Jared. I swear to God, sometimes like mom would just open the door and I'd be in a meeting or something. I was like, I'm actually on it. I'm actually on the same call there now. (laughs) (laughs) And I doubt you're the only person listening and watching this now who is having that very experience. So tell me, do do you have actual solutions to this? Yeah. So for me, I've, I've told my mom, my mom is great for calendars. She absolutely adores them. You know, get, you get her, she loves the Irish Times calendar every year. And if she doesn't get you, she's very annoyed that she doesn't have it. But she has a thing where we have, she got two of them this year. She gave one to me and she kept one her herself. We're talking flip calendars, actual flip old calendars. school. Right. Actual okay. Calendars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so what we do is we sync our calendars, our physical calendars. So anytime I have something really important for it. So, for example, we're recording the podcast. I've told her, look, mom, I'm recording with Jared. Don't come in here because <laughs> if it sounds like I'm talking to myself, it's OK. It's grand. It's normal. Um, so we do that. We have that crossover and that understanding that she she doesn't need to come in and check on me every. OK, whatever. well, it's not it's it's not what we would normally assume as technology, but it is mm-hmm. just some basic planning yes. to how to run this thing well, because the whole thing that you're running into there and what we're talking about here is this sense that you can often get whether you're living at home or with your partner or with your kids in homeschool is a lack of respect for the boundaries <laughs> and mm-hmm. the, the significance and importance of what you're doing in this moment versus Mikey banging on the door, coming in and going, Daddy, you have got to see this meme. <laughs> you stop what you're doing. This meme needs to be seen now. So a simple calendar, old school, written on the wall calendar is so it's so simple. But um, how many of us are doing it? I know this is the thing. And this actually reminds funny enough, that reminds me when I was uh, living with my partner, like he normally he he's a lecturer. So he's usually in the university and he was he's been obviously working from home and we had a home office and both of us were in there. And I found it the most distracting thing in the world to have someone right next to me. And I was that annoying kid going, hey, Porik, look at this. Look at this video that I found on TikTok. So what happened was I actually had to move to another room because I was distracting him and I was thus also distracting myself from actually doing anything. Absolutely. I'd be the exact same way. Extremely social in in that way that if I had someone behind me, the temptation would be just planning our next break. And I think that we've hit on one of the big challenges, right, of working from home. And that is the routine. Uh, Mm -hmm. The straight off the bat, we're getting into actually establishing your routine whereby uh, you can adhere to it and others can respect it. Is there any actual tech solutions other than an actual stopwatch on your phone that will help this? It just seems so fluid at times. Uh, uh, it just feels like the day could potentially just sift through your hands like sand and actually blocking it seems hard. Is there anything out there that can help this? Well, it's a kind of a bit of both. So obviously I mentioned an offline calendar system, but firstly, I think it's really important to 
Like if you don't prioritize anything, you're going to end up, everything is going to seem urgent and important, right? So you're going to just be faffing around the place wondering, oh, well, I might get around to that or whatever. One thing that people tend to like doing um, is a thing called like the Pomodoro method. Yep, um, do I do myself. one that, yep. oh, do you? Excellent. Yep. Yeah. So that system is basically where you, you, you put things into time blocks and then you take a moment of recovery. And actually, you know, there have been studies done with this to say that this kind of this, these moments of recovery have worked. There was one book that I was dipping into um, was The Power of Full Engagement. I'm mad for these business type books. And they all have really crazy titles as well that sound like they're not going to do anything. But anyway, this one um, is by Jim Lur, I think. If I, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Okay, they did we'll, a we'll study. stick it in the notes. Go ahead. Perfect. Uh, they did a study where he was comparing high performance athletes and low performing performing athletes. So he was his book is aimed at uh, sports people and business people. And he noticed that what was the difference? Because they seemed to be both very talented. But for some reason, one they, it just wasn't happening. So what he noticed that the high performance athletes after, say, about 90 minutes, they just seemed to zone out for about 10 minutes or so. And he couldn't figure out, like, what were they doing when they were zoning out? Um, so that was their moment of recovery, whereas the low performance athletes were actually just powering through. But the more they powered through and again and again, the more mistakes they made, you know, the more they were pr prone to just not being as effective. So, you know, there's science behind that to say that you you do need these moments just to yourself. And they're not moments of weakness, you know, they're just moments to get your brain back on track. I know that you mentioned that you do use some matter. Do you use a physical phone to do that? Or like yeah, how so, do you do it? so there's a range of apps out there for this. The first one that I'll recommend is Flora. And, uh, you know, it's a better night. It's it's geared towards the creative end of things, I have to say. Uh, so, you know, Pomodoro essentially is 25 minutes of focused and focused work, mm -hmm. followed by a five minute break. And you do four of them in a row, you get a half an hour break and we're the weird cycle of that and the here's the thing that the five minutes break that you say the zone out is everything because the five minutes can't be spent checking the mail that you missed or the pings that went off that five minutes has to be fully relaxed it has to be you know if you're going to be meditating then go for it but it, I would actually tend to lie on the bed uh, mm -hmm. in the room next door. And then there's something about the 25 minute period, right, that is just long enough for you to go, I can get there. I can really focus for 25. And then when you the deal is and the deal that I make with myself is and everyone does it their own way, that if you hit the 25 and you're still you're keen to keep going, you have to go for the other 25. <laughs> now, that's my own rule. And I guess you do have to be able to blend these things to work for you. But Flora is the app that I recommend on that. But it's more about the method here that we're talking about, Unamin, because taking the breaks at home seems to be the, you know, the real challenge here with working from home. Uh, did you look into anything around the actual discipline of returning from breaks and how how we can facilitate technologically the return to work rather than there's something on the telly now. <laughs> I'm not going to do anything. I can't miss this. This is great. Yeah, it's a really tricky one. I think to start off your day well, the key is not to be overstimulated. 
And we often do this, and I'm guilty of this doing doing this often, where you you wake up in the morning, what do you do? You check your emails, you check your social media, you check everything. And your brain is already buzzing, right? So if you're going to get down to a say that at a task that's not as exciting as that, of course it's going to be really hard for you to remain focused throughout the day because you're you're, you're after seeing this bombardment of color and excitement and buzz. So I think initially, if you can start off your day like that, you're, you're off to a, off to a good start in terms of the actual productivity aspect of it. One thing where we do, and I know yourself, Charlotte, and I know all of us are guilty of this, is this: we spend way too much time in our emails, right? Hmm. We just hang out there and people expect us to be in there all the time. And I know I mentioned this previously where I only check it once an hour, which takes a lot of discipline at times. But there's one ex- Google Chrome extension that I absolutely adore. It's called Boomerang. Boomerang. I don't know if okay. you've heard about it. Yeah. It's and it's really, an extension really to Chrome. Exactly. It's a Google extension. It's free. Um, and it basically, there's a button on it and it, it pauses your inbox. Oh my so God. what happens is it's so good, <laughs> it's right? It's already. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and what it does is it, it's, I think it's better than out of office because you have to manually schedule that thing and it's not really intuitive at times. But this one, you just press the button, pauses your inbox and anyone who emails you, they get a message back saying, look, listen, this person, my inbox is paused. I'll be back in two hours, three hours, a day, whatever. Hmm. And then you can unpause it manually. Another so can thing you that do that does, same oh, thing though with your, like just with the fetching system within your email that you can time that to only fetch the emails every 30 minutes too? Right. Yeah, you, you, I think you can do that method too. But I find that this because this is just in one area, it just there's a there's less clicking around. It. And, <laughs> and that <laughs> makes a difference. Yeah. yeah, yeah, less <laughs> clicks. I mean, that's the thing. Because sometimes I think that we can, I can find myself getting recommendations on things that, yeah, while they do work, there's just, I mean, you need to take up a night course to get through yeah. uh, the actual yeah. process of doing them. Uh, so that's called Boomerang and that's an extension of Chrome. So when you say extension in Chrome, you go into the drop down extensions and it will appear as part of the search. Yeah. Or even if you just Google Boomerang, Google Chrome extension, it'll come up in your search. OK, because there is an yeah. app called Boomerang, which is just people going back and forth in their no, pictures. This is a very different thing. OK, very, very right. What's I next? Feel, I feel like you would waste more time with that one. <laughs> yeah, actually. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's every chance I'll spend the day doing that one. Don't fall down that there, rabbit hole. There is one thing actually that I like to mention about Boomerang as well, which is really useful for content creators um, like myself. So, you know, I spend a lot of time chasing up invoices. <laughs> So what not it does from me is, has to be said. Oh, not from you, not from you. No, you, no, you're great. <laughs> but um, what it does is it schedules a message. So say you sent out an invoice gotcha. and they haven't responded to it, and um, it'll boomerang a message back to you saying follow up on this. Hmm. So it's great. It, it well, really that's, schedules that. That's that's gold. Just from the perspective of how many times have you got a to do list at the start of the day, and then you look back at the long finger ones that you, you just needed that nudge. You just needed yeah. that one nudge. And I assume you can set it up for those as well. Yes, you can. You can set it for a specific time. It's okay. really good. Amazing. It's really useful. I love it. Okay, well, that's a game changer. Boomerang, uh, the Chrome extension. Right, what's next? So, okay, uh, this has happened to me a few times where I'm writing up a gigantic script or something and I accidentally X a few things, like cut out a few things. And I'm like, oh, no. Where the hell has that gone? Is it gone? And it, this this kind of big fear oh, comes over me. The panic. Yeah, the big panic. So there is this, I, I, I think it's called an extension, but I'm not sure, but it, Jump Cut is the name of it. It's basically um, a bit of software. So it actually 
copies 40 things that you've just X out or recently copied. So even if you X out a few of them, they'll still be on this clipboard so you can recover them. So is Jump Cut uh, an actual program in itself or is it something that you add to Word or Pages? Yeah, so with, it's it's a clipboard, basically. Okay. And it just kind of, it sits as its own bit of software and you can go through everything and see what oh. you've missed, <laughs> you've potentially caught I by mean, accident. That's like, honestly, my biggest, and I've done this because of Return the Crack is our, is our, now a little plug here for our weekly comedy club, our online comedy club. And every week you write a new script for it. And honestly, I've had that moment of this is gone forever. This can't be found. And it can it can literally be a case of two clicks mm -hmm. and you can like this, this thing is called jump cut and it just runs in the background and yeah, it, it's an application, it yeah. will go. It will go and retrieve it. That panic, I have to say, is full on resetting your phone to factory settings panic. <laughs> yes. If you ever want to feel alive, go into <laughs> your settings and hover your finger over reset to factory settings. I mean, you think coffee will wake you up in the morning. That'll that'll get your engine running. Oh, my God. Um, that's brilliant. Jump cut is, is the next yeah. uh, recommendation. So that's actually for Mac OS, but if you want an, another alternative for Windows or whatever, a website that I recommend in general is uh, one called, it has a weird name, so okay. alternativetoe.net. I'll give you the actual spelling yeah. of it afterwards. A-L-T-Alternativetoe, um, T-O-E? T-O. T-O, okay. .net, yes. And that's really good because it just compares them. So if you're looking for a similar to Jump Cut, it'll just give you a whole list of things. Mm. So similar to Photoshop, similar to whatever, it's a really good site for that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, yeah, it's super useful in that respect. These are these are spot on recommendations uh, because that the comparison website is, I think, a full separate episode, Unaming, because there's so many at the moment offering in, this is in the line of productivity that we're talking about now. You go down a rabbit hole of searching for a thing and it doesn't matter how hard you're working that day, you may never return. <laughs> like, you will never come back. Uh, at the moment, we're hunting bikes. Uh, Tina wants to get me a bicycle for um, my kidneyversary, which is coming up. And each time we will get distracted by stuff that is totally unrelated, but near the rabbit hole. The comparison website is a huge time saver, but I feel like we need a separate we need a separate day for that. Is that right now it, I feel like there's leaps and bounds being made in that area uh, where people are saying that we will hunt the Internet for every uh, discount code available on you, get you the best price. That seems too good to be true to me. And mm -hmm. you can massively uh, swing people towards certain websites were you to abuse that uh, at all. Am I right in saying that? For sure. And even in terms of reviews, it's questionable. Yeah. You know? So Trustpilot in these places, are they act is there a Trustpilot for Trustpilot <laughs> websites? Uh, that, that will be a conversation for next time. Now, let me ask you a question just about the other end of this. Like we've talked about the difficulty of actually getting work done. Now, this sounds silly, but I've had evenings where I just can't stop working and mm. and it's the nature of what I do. 
but it's also the nature of what all of us are doing at home. Uh, we've talked about always being on, but I really struggle with getting to the point where, OK, I've actually worked till half ten this evening. Things keep coming in. Things start to seem people in different time zones are requesting different things. What advice would you have for people who are struggling with that side of things where they're never actually with their family? They just feel like the phone goes off and then their eyes close for sleep, which is massively unhealthy. It is so unhealthy. And I, I've fallen into that trap, too, because a lot of my work schedule, because I stream, I do it at night time. So there, there's a situation where I have to change my work schedule, where I have to do stuff during the day and at night um, or talks or things like that. So I guess the biggest question that one has to ask themselves is, is if I do this now, will I actually do a good job? Mm. You know, or am I just doing it for the sake of a potential dopamine hit or whatever that's going to be very fleeting yeah, a box and tick. You feel yeah. exactly and also i mean it seems so obvious but i know that we get pulled away from it because as content creators you know the more work we do the more money we get in you know mm -hmm. it's, it's very different for for full-time employees and i mean you have to kind of tell yourself look what's more important here my time with my family or this work that you know, it mightn't go so well or what? Let, let, let me reflect on this. If you take time to yourself overnight or whatever to actually consider the task that has come in last minute, you're definitely going to do a better job the next day mm. um, as opposed to just going straight into it. I Absolutely. Think, anyway. I think that is it. And it reminds me of what Sonia Sullivan keeps telling me on the running podcast, which is we're not thinking about this run. We're thinking about the next run. We're thinking about long term running. And that every person listening could go and blast through a task or blast through a run. But where will that leave you for the next one? Uh, in a lot of cases with running, it, we've we all have had the experience of going, I'm going to do a run today and then I'll never be able to run for the rest of the month. Whereas I think that what you're saying there is the, and a profound bit of knowledge in this episode, because if we can take that mindset of, yeah, I could do it, but where will that leave me? And what does that do to the next piece of work is a really, really good question to ask yourself, because God, that temptation is is real because it seems so quick. Even when you go, I'm just going to go to the loo. <laughs> that's the that's the uh, that's the that's where the, the sneaky work gets done. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we're watching uh, 30 Rock. I'll just nip to the toilet and you're up there banging out some sort of email that didn't really need to be sent and puts you back in a funk. Let's let's face it for dealing with your family from that point forward. Do you are you someone who suffers with overwhelm? Oh, absolutely. And funny enough, the toilet example is actually a great example because actually the bathroom is fantastic because there's usually no technology in there. So ideally, don't bring it in with <laughs> yeah, you. That's it. Have a moment to yourself. <laughs> that's it. I mean, there just needs to be a Maybe that's another an, another discussion uh, about all rooms that need to be off limits from tech and how hard mm. it is to enforce that. Uh, I've so many other questions that I want to ask you, uh, Una Ming, but I feel like we've had a great chat today and we should keep it at that for the next uh, selection box, which will be back at the end 
of February. Hard to believe that'll be two months into the year. We will be taking your questions. So whatever questions you might have for Una Ming Kavna on tech, I will put them to her as well as that uh, other topic that I mentioned at the start. Una, it's, it's always such a fun to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing this. It always just seems so clear and easy. I don't imagine that you're all over it all the time, are you? You just seem so in control no. and calm with it all. Uh, you know, you just wing it at times, Jared, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, well, look, there's nothing wrong with that either. Even just admitting that we're all just flying blind here. I will put all of her recommendations in the notes for the episode. And uh, don't hesitate to get in touch. Irishman Abroad Podcast at gmail.com. Una Minkavna, we will talk to you next month. Thanks so much. Hello and welcome to the music section of the Selection Box where we're joined as always by the legend Tom Dunn. And Tom, we really do need to talk about music. We we need to talk about uplifting stuff because this is this is a time and this whole Selection Box is all about what we're going to do with ourselves now that we know that we're going to be home a lot longer than we realised. And you point out in the first instalment of Selection Box of how music had thrived in all of this and how it's actually more essential now than it's ever been before. Well, that couldn't be more true than in the month of January and February. What have you got for us and what's your take on all of that? Yeah, well, it definitely um, we've never needed it more. And I'm happy to say that the stuff coming through in January is often a very quiet month. Um, not a sausage. Not a sausage, Thomas. <laughs> Timus. Yes, not a sausage, Timus. And then he'd order another bottle of wine on his credit card, having no money. <laughs> Little call back for the for the listeners that have been tuning in every month there. Um, yeah, but yeah, usually very quiet month. Very quiet, yeah. Not No tours, so nothing to promote. Not a great time to stick stuff out as well. People have money after Christmas. So it tends to be a month of few releases and stuff like that. And I was looking back on last year's shows, putting together end of year specials. And I was I was grimacing looking at, at last January because there was so little new stuff. But this year, it seems a little bit different. I, I, I've made a huge effort to really focus on, on new stuff. And it's been great that, you know, the, the releases coming across my desk have been many. And there have been nights when I've played only new music. And a lot of it's Irish and a lot of the Irish stuff, I don't know what it is, but we just seem to have a quality to the writing. There's a, I have always said there's a little bit more of a spirituality in, in mm. Irish writing. There's, I don't know whether we do very good leaving certs and, and we study great <laughs> writers mm. and something inside us connects mm. and we see great writing and we think that is what I want to do. And it just seems to be in many writers. And, and I'll talk about one in a moment on a very basic level. They seem able to do a good essay. Yeah. Well, it has to be part of it. I mean, here I am in the UK with Mikey and the big push is to get home for secondary school because that rounded learning and that kind of in the world learning, it doesn't seem to be the way of it here. It does. There's great schools, but there's a great amount of specialisation. And everyone I talk to and everyone I've talked to about the Irish school system, does talk about that kind of soul that's in it when you're when you're really uh, wetting your beak in all sorts of different writers and art the way up. And, and you definitely connect that to some of the selections you've made today. 
Yeah, definitely. I, it's funny you say that. Um, I, I was thinking about school as well. And uh, Irish was my least favourite part of school. I, the, the one subject I struggled with was Irish. And it, the, the interstate, the leaving cert, I decided I had to get the honour. I thought, look, you know, I'm doing everything else at a higher level. I have to do that as well. So I knuckled down and we had a teacher who was really very frightening. Um, he wrote on the blackboard, um, is Farjadith Gwaelga Brishton or Berlga Halling? which is it's better to have broken Irish than beautiful English. And that was his way of saying no, no English was to be spoken in the class again. And I just come up from the past Irish class, so I wasn't the strongest. <laughs> so um, so I had to knuckle down and, and learn it very fast. But in the middle of all that horror, he introduced a book called Duel by Limo Flaherty. Mm-hmm. And I can remember just reading that. Oh, God, this is beautiful. Where is this man finding these words and just being taken out of the classroom again and mm. just and finding the beauty in, in what we were studying? I think maybe that they beat it into us better in this country or something. Maybe, you know, some maybe so, thing. maybe so. But I know this, I, I know this, that being taken out of yourself is is what the challenge I, I set you this month was music that could take us out of it. I mean, the whole reason I started up the weekly Irishman Abroad comedy club that runs on Zoom for those that aren't aware on a Friday night at eight o'clock is just for that brief moment to forget. And you can forget. It is possible to forget. Uh, Mikey at the moment is studying the uh, poem of Amanda Gorman. And uh, I mean, it's a perfect example of just elevation through art. Um, Your first choice Tolo, Tolo McKay. Tolo McKay. And this is beautiful because it was it was New Year's Eve. And of all the New Year's Eve we've had, this has to be one of the strangest. And RT did a special program and uh, on it came Tolo McKay, who I'd never heard of before. And she was doing a version of the Saw Doctors N17 with uh, the Irish Concert Orchestra or the RT Concert Orchestra. And it just absolutely blew me away. And I was on radio within the next few days saying, I've already seen the best thing that's going to happen in 2021. <laughs> it that's doesn't how get better. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just waited in. I thought, I can't wait. This is, I know it. I know what I'm seeing. And uh, it's now currently number one. Brilliant. It's number one in Ireland as we speak, uh, which is great news. But um, she is Nigerian and she's Irish. She came to Ireland from Nigeria. And even that story is interesting. Her dad went, um, no, her mum went ahead of them from Nigeria. And her mum was in direct provision, which, you know, is, is a huge mm-hmm. story here in, in Ireland at the moment. And then when she was five, her dad brought her over. And I think they went to Waterford and they went to Wexford and they settled in Tullamore. And she was in the local college at school in Tullamore, where she seems to have had a great time. She has nothing but good to say. <laughs> and she was, as she says, the only black child in that school. Yeah. And it was made feel very welcome. And, and was very big into church and choirs and developed all that and sang. But then she went to um, went to Galway College in Galway, went a little bit of time in, in uh, Trinity College as well. And, and there's nothing but good to say about her time. And then goes into this song, the N17 by the Saw Doctors. And it's funny, I know the Saw Doctors really well, toured with them, our paths crossed many times. I never paid the blindest bit of attention to N17. <laughs> 
they were writing songs about bailing hay and stuff. So, you know, they where my expectation was. But when you hear it, it's such a beautiful song oh. about leaving Ireland and the N17 taking you to Shannon Airport. Oh. And who knows what, if you'll ever see it again after that. So, very beautiful. And they put it together with footage of people who couldn't get home for Christmas holding up signs saying hello to their loved ones in Ireland. That was very poignant and very beautiful. Okay. But it's a great song. And she sings it so fantastically well. And that thing of lifting you out of yourself and elevating things, as you say, to watch her just hold those notes and sing them. Uh, it just lifts your heart. It really does. Beautiful. Great start to the year. Great. Very, very optimistic. Well, let's stick it on there. Tolo McKay, N17. Yeah, so we've we've obviously got a series about race, Tom, that's starting uh, it's the third season of Men Behaving Better. And it's all about uh, race. We had Emer uh, O'Neill on talking about her experience, uh, different to Tolo McKay. But, uh, you know, the con- opening up the conversation is the idea that I, I think yeah. I'm a little bit uh, I'm a bit blind to the changes that have taken place in the country since I left. And, you know, the. Uh, diversification of the place Uh, and I find it a little bit like among the stressful things of watching Ireland struggle through this is the shutdown a little bit of shutdown of conversation of sure sure we can't talk about Black Lives Matter sure lads aren't getting shot every night of the week by the guards and you know so we've started that series that's that's going to be available to patrons before anybody else Cahill Coughlin doesn't sound like he uh, came from the same place as Tolo McKay. Well, Where is you he know, from? Yeah, Carl's from Cork. But okay. this is an interesting story in the other way, because that's an example of, of Tolu coming to our, to Ireland and that changing Ireland. And can I say about you, your, your race program, I can remember growing up in Ireland, which must have been one of the most monocultural countries in the known universe. And you know, a bit of that was because nobody wanted to come here, being no doubt. You'd want to be crazy to come to Ireland. We mm-hmm. had nothing. So when that started to turn around uh, in the boom and people started wanting to come here, I, I was greeting them with open arms. I was just, I felt proud that people now wanted to come here. Absolutely. We had some at last. Yeah. Um, so delighted with that. But Carl Cochran is the other side of that. He is part of the generation that went to England during the 80s. And and that Irish generation that went, that was a different generation to the generations that previously had, had gone and would have worked on building sites and, and been in that kind of, you know, low pay type of jobs that, that they went to. This was a different generation of college educated Irish who went. And there was a great cover on the enemy at the time of Cahill, Sean Hughes, the comedian, and the two lads from um, Father Ted. And the headline was the Irish are coming. And that was the new perception of the Irish going to. We were now, you know, a brighter, sharper group of people who were coming cool. in. We were cool. Yeah, it was the beginning of, of you know, a huge invasion of British media, uh, to your part. Mm-hmm. And um, that that made me proud as well. But then on top of that, it was in Micro Disney, which I, I will put as one of the greatest bands of all time. And Sean did the music, Sean O'Hagan, which was very Beach Boys before Beach Boys became cool again with bands like Stereo, Stereo Lab is the band I'm trying to remember. And and others that like being Beach Boys influence is now huge very fresh at the time. But then in it, the lyrics of Carl Coughlin and that kind of brilliant 
raging intellect that he brought. I mean, he was, this is an A student. This is a man I would have done very, very well indeed in the leading <laughs> um, Even in Honours Irish. Ah, Honours <laughs> Irish, Honours English, you name it. And turning that brilliant intelligence onto British society, English society, class-bound, mm. old-fashioned English society, and going through it for a shortcut. Very entertaining. So I love him. And one of the few people I'd be very intimidated around in terms of music and interviews. Really? <laughs> yeah. Is I, that because he's, he, he doesn't like doing them? I, do, I think I have him on too high a pedestal. I, I think something inside me is able to disarm other people in music and say, pretend it isn't Paul McCartney and just talk to him. You know, but Carl, I can't get past really? that. I think it's that. Yeah, he's come from the same things as us, but he's used them incredibly better than the rest of us. And I'm just too in awe, really. It's fanboy stuff when I talk to him. So he hasn't done anything in 10 years. And this is his first single back. It's called The Song of Coaklan, which I think is a play on how people pronounce his name in England. And once again, it's it's just, oh, it's just beautiful. It's going through all of the things that are, you know, annoying in society at the moment and, and shafting them. And finding the right words at the right time to have call back is a wonderful thing. And again, it, it's that Irish in the world angle that, that I love. OK, well, yeah. let's let's have a little bit of this. Tell me where, tell me where, tell me where. Raise your hands if you don't know what you mean. Emotional fixes. Tom, your your third choice seems like the one that I probably would have picked myself, just in terms of there's certain artists that can just by the first two bars you go somewhere else no matter where you are and what you're doing, it's a, a changer. And, you know, Mikey is into, he's very into classical FM at the moment. Is he? That's his thing. Wow. Because it says it's it's that shift of gears. So homeschool, as we all know, is extremely stressful for everybody involved. But I think we're inclined to underestimate how tough it is on the kid because for me, when I was in school, the whole point of being there <laughs> was to get laughs. <laughs> it was really the learning was a bonus. <laughs> but if you walked out of school knowing, oh, man, I nearly wet myself today, it was a good one. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, he, he doesn't have that. He doesn't have that. And I, I don't think he, he giggles his head off when he listens to classical. But I think by the same token, it does just take him somewhere else. And Nina Simone does that for me every single time without fail. Picking this for um, very particular reasons, one of which is that I saw Bon Jovi performing it at uh, Biden's inauguration. And he's been on the naughty step with me since Fairy Tale of New York. <laughs> Rightly so. To be honest, yeah, he's also been on the naughty step with me since the very early days of lockdown when people were starting to stream gigs from their houses. And he streamed himself performing, standing beside, sitting beside a life-sized portrait of himself. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. Uh, yes. That's notions. <laughs> All of those things have been making me look at John and go, wait a minute. You know, we thought we knew you living on a prayer. Come here a minute. So um, then I heard him being interviewed and, and he's really a nice guy. You know, and, and I didn't even realize that he went out of his way in the video to have the sun coming up as they were performing. Here comes the sun. So 
I, I have to stand back and say maybe I've overreacted to the fairy tale. Um, <laughs> and I need. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but the I mean, portrait I mean, thing, Tom, I don't know if you get forgiven for the portrait thing for a while. Yeah, it's good. I, mean, I know a few it, people who have life-size portraits of themselves in their houses. Yeah, I, I'm speaking as someone who's sitting here with a uh, figurine of himself on his desk. <laughs> <laughs> for those yeah. that are watching this on YouTube, Neil Conlon of the De Laurentos uh, made this uh, handmade Charlotte Regan figurine, which now allows me to play with myself in public. It comes with... <laughs> Had to do you, it. Had to do it. It comes you are with also accessories of uh, microphone and removable kidneys. <laughs> it's a it's a joy, and I thank Neil for that. But again, I didn't do it, so it doesn't. No, it's not in the Bon Jovi territory. Gives you the chance to play the um, this Charlotte is small, that Charlotte <laughs> is far away. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stick this on. So will we will we play a little bit of Nina Simone here before yeah, we go to your, like your new choice? Little darling, the smile will return into the faces now. Little darling, it seems like years since you. It is one of those songs, isn't it? That uh, I always say this to Mikey, that it's hard to believe that somebody had nothing on a page. And then that came on the page. Isn't it incredible? Apparently, George wrote it in his garden in um, Esher, I think how you pronounce that. Apparently, uh, what's his name? Eric Clapton, with whom he can only have had a complicated relationship mm. as, as Eric eventually ran away with his wife. Um, yeah, that makes tends was, to make things weird. And they both wrote great songs about her. George wrote something and, and Eric wrote uh, Layla, both about Patty Boyd, which is fairly amazing, isn't wow. it? Wow. Apparently he was writing it in the garden and the sun was coming up and um, Eric Clapton was going over to visit him in his house and walked in and, and George was sitting cross-legged playing Here Comes the Sun. And even Eric thought, wow, wow. to see a Beatle writing a song at that level. Now you, you've, on a side note here, Tom, you've been in studios when number ones were being recorded. You've yeah. been there and then there's that moment where you go, that's it. We got it. <laughs> this is it, lads. <laughs> what is that sensation like when you realise, do you think, am I crazy or is this a hit? Or do you just know in your heart, I don't care what anyone says, this is fucking good. Yeah, it only happened twice that were, I remember looking around thinking this can't go wrong. It seemed that our career to that point seemed to be, it can always go wrong. There's mm. always scope for the record is great, but it's not in the shops or, or something, you know, some little twist, you know, yeah. or the, yeah, the uh, it's doing well in America, but it's actually just been released in England. There's always some little, you know, thing that just lets the wind out of the, the, the sails. So um, I can remember standing in the studio in L.A. and the producer, Ed Stasium, was putting up the rough mixes of Hello, Hello and Parachute. And I can remember looking at Ray and going, this can't fail. <laughs> we've, we've done everything right here. The lyrics are good. The guitar sounds amazing. The piano sounds amazing. The sounds are great. This is all what, what music is supposed to sound like in a studio. So, yeah, there was enormous yeah. uh, confidence about that. And we, we came home, we recorded that in L.A. And we came in early in the morning and went for a swift drink somewhere and then went home. And then that evening, George Byrne called me and said, the album sounds great, Tom. And I said, we came home from America only this morning. 
And we were given, you know, under pain of death, don't play this to anyone. And now seven or eight hours later, George Byrne has heard the album. So you met Ray, you went over to Ray's house, Ray gave it to <laughs> Just <laughs> like that. <laughs> that. Yeah. Amazing. Ray knew the... Well, good to, good to the, get into the conversation to, about... I'll just tell you straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's good to get into the conversation about studios before we talk about the next selection uh, from your component, the selection box. Because, I mean, this next song, first of all, it, it does conjure the image of a studio because you, you understand that this kind of sound can't be created without massive backup, massive expertise. And like you talk about the hairs on the back of your neck, if you if you pop the, the headphones on for this, it, it is impossible not to have a, an actual physical reaction to this song. Be My Baby from the Ronettes, um, one of the greatest songs of all time. When Brian Wilson heard this song on the radio, he had to pull over to the side of the road. One of those moments where he felt they were trying to create the ultimate sound in his head of what modern music should sound like. And he literally heard this and thought someone's after doing it before me. That's that's the sound in my head. That's where I want my music to go. And it was Phil Spector produced it. It inspired song to write, Brian to write the, the loads of the Pet Sounds album, which is the, but, but what they were both trying to do was to use the studio as like an instrument that, you know, you could do things in the studio. You couldn't do a live band. It had that capability and they wanted to use that capability. And Phil Spector was one of the first to really jump in and, and do that. And he created the, what was known as the Wall of Sound, which is really just loads of people playing the same thing. Mm, that's um, what it is. In, in yeah. a nutshell, he produced um, Happy Christmas War is Over for John Lennon and he, he had to get five guitar players in. He, they got them in through some music group in New York, just advertised and got five guys in just playing the chords. And he was saying, no, no embellishments, nothing, just the chords exactly as they are, you know, but it's all five guitars playing it at the same time. It makes it sound really big. And then if you add maybe two drum kits, loads of backing vocals and reverb. You get this really big, exciting sound, which in the early 60s, they'd never heard anything like before. And it just sounded like the sound of the future, really tuning into the radio and there's the future. Hmm. And um, the Righteous Brothers, You've Lost That Loving Feeling was the, the biggest track, bigger than yesterday, still the most played song on American radio. And that was all all Phil. So the story is complicated. It's that song, it's Be My Baby, which is beautiful. And the, uh, at its heart is everything that's great in music, sensitivity, needing to, to be with someone, you know, your, your existence, depending on somebody loving you, all those things that pop music and Brian Wilson is so brilliant at putting across. But then also there is the story of Phil himself. And when it's successful, he he uh, marries Ron, Ronnie from from the band, Ronnie Bennett at the time, Ronnie Spector after she married him. She was kind of like the Kylie Minogue almost every day. I was trying to think of someone that everybody in the world fancied. And um, at one point, everybody fancied Kylie. She was just the poster girl for her. She's just, is there nothing she can't do? (laughs) Ronnie was that in the 60s. Um, Everybody fancied her and particularly the Beatles. And John Lennon pursued her. Uh, to no avail. She's very pure, very lovely, you know, hadn't mm. been with a boy type situation in a band with her sister and, you know, looked after by her mother. Mm. The day after the Beatles arrived in in um, JFK, that famous 
when Please Please Me goes to number one and they arrive at JFK and everyone's screaming at the plane. The next day, she calls over to the hotel and brings them for a burger in Brooklyn. No screaming crowds, you know, just amazingly sweet stories. But while all that sweetness is going on, Spectre is being crazy and he's doing things like has a, a mannequin of himself made to travel with her in the car when she's not when he's not around so that nobody will approach her and think he's there. Has a glass coffin made and says, if you ever leave me, I'll kill you and I'll put you in that glass coffin so you'll never be able to get away from me. And then famously takes all her shoes so she can't leave the house. So all that behavior is just absolutely crazy. Mm. And, and you wonder, it kind of feeds into this myth of it's just mad Phil. But if you stand back from that, it's really abusive, yeah. terrible behavior. And, and selecting and no, his victim. Yeah. And there's no red flags being raised, you know. And then after that, there's stories of him in the studio with uh, John Lennon, fires a gun through the, through the uh, studio ceiling, in with Leonard Cohen, rubs a gun against uh, Leonard's neck and and uh, he says to Leonard, I really love you, Leonard. And Leonard says, I certainly hope so. <laughs> Which it's dark, sense. man. It's dark humor. It is dark. And then years later, he, goes, he disappears off the face of the earth 25 years and he comes back and he's interviewed by an English journalist, uh, Mick Brown. He tells the story of him knowing about his demons and fighting his demons and getting help and being on medication for schizophrenia mm-hmm. and talking about his daughter and particularly wanting to impress his daughter and says, I want her to see a reasonable man when she looks at me. This is powerful stuff, you know, um, and, and Mick Brown would have bet at that time that he, he knows about his demons and he's turning his corner. But then weeks after he goes, he starts drinking again. And then a few weeks later, he goes out and he meets this girl, Lana Clarkson, brings her back and murders her. He, he died in prison just last week for that. It, it's kind of like her life is a real life. Uh, and then it intersects this crazy world of Phil Spector mm. and, and that costs her her life. It's it's a dark story, but you have to accept that he is both the genius and a murderer because the music has that quality mm. that you look for in music, that that bruised humanity, that that you know, that vulnerability that we all have. And he he put it across, you know, it echoes with you and it echoes with people like Brian Wilson and the song. Wow. What Mm. a song. Well, the piece you wrote in The Examiner about it is extraordinary and it's so um, delicately done, Tom, that I really urge people to read it because we certainly won't get into this in enough depth here. But the way in which you pull apart the threads in the examiner piece is extraordinary. And uh, you should be really proud of that piece, because, as you say, the art has to stand for something and it has to we have to respect the other people involved in the creation. (coughs) Same as when Michael Jackson is found to have done these heinous things to so many people that there are other artists involved in those creations. They are not just his. They and they nearly yeah. don't belong to him once they're in mm. the world. There is yeah. there is that. And I'm sure you've had that experience with your own work that once you send it out there, it's beyond you. It may Absolutely. have emanated from your heart, but it belongs to the public. Then certainly I do not think of Phil Spector on it in any way when I hear those songs. So it is like lifting up the carpet and finding something disgusting underneath it. But at the same time, 
the conversation needs to be had, doesn't it? It needs we, there's a lot to learn from that. Yeah. I mean, that kind of controlling behavior and that awful stuff that he was doing with Ronnie is still goes on today. I mean, there's there's there are women and men who could learn from hearing that this was happening under the noses of everybody mm-hmm. in, in, you know, civilized society uh, at the time. And no one knew there was absolutely no way of stopping it until something like Lana occurred. It was yeah. only then, like, who knows how long it would have gone on for if that hadn't happened. I think the complexity of it is a thing you have to get your head around. Mm. And, you know, it, it isn't black and white. And I, I remember at the time I, I didn't go on Twitter with that because Twitter was very ugly at the time and I would have been taken apart mm-hmm. and you can't express a complex argument no. in 280 characters. You can only appear to be one one thing and it just goes badly wrong really quickly. Yes. Yes. Complicated. You know, you were talking about race earlier. There is a complicated one, you know, as well um, for us, you and I t- mm. to get our heads around because because our experiences are so, you know, Limited. white male. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. White Irish male. Yeah. No, there's there's an awful lot of listening that needs to be done. And yeah. that, that's a hard one for people to wrap their heads around. Certainly listening to the Ronettes and Be My Baby is one where I definitely go, if anybody talks during this, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's listen to a little bit of the Ronettes, Be My Baby. say when before lockdown um i was haunting news talk saying I, I i have all these interviews but it's really awkward for me to go to news talk to do them you know so news talk set me up with the facility that we're using at the moment and the very first interview and i did it in about uh, two weeks before christmas around 2019 i think was ronnie specter and I, I was downstairs with the girls and i said i have to go up to my office and talk to Ronnie Spector. <laughs> I just, it was very, it blew my mind because I'm sitting in this, you know, where I am now. Yeah. Ronnie's big electric voice is there, you know, she's very flirtatious. How are you, Tom? All of this. <laughs> and it's just, you know, big kisses. You come backstage now. All this. <laughs> I floated down the stairs afterwards. Obviously, there was one subject we weren't allowed to discuss, but everything else. Yeah. John Lennon trying to kiss her is she stands up in, in the plaza and says I'm not that kind of girl wow and walks out of John Lennon amazing uh, though that like uh, not to keep harping on that you know if John Lennon presents himself and like Phil Spector isn't you know in the same league you're talking to one of the all time great human beings ever to have lived and Phil Spector, like, I mean, I think that's complicated as well. That's you know, that. complicated too, right? I'm what John is saying, you know, I want to kiss you. I don't think he is the most beautiful or talented that's ever lived. I think he's a bit of a an oik from Liverpool who's trying it on with everything that moves. And Ronnie Maybe sees so. that. And Ronnie is from a nice family and nice background. And her mother has, has educated her to spot people like John Lennon, mm. regardless of what band he's in. A Johnny fly by night. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, 
says, I like you, Tom, but not in that way. Not in that way. Uh, Tom, it's been a pleasure and it always is a pleasure to do these selection boxes with you. Let's hope that the the sun has risen a little bit next time. We definitely it needed will. some it of these will. recommendations. Uh, and I can't concentrate more on just new because there's loads of brilliant new releases yeah, coming out in February. Uh, back on the weather station. I just can't wait. OK. Uh, that to arrive. Brilliant. Well, let's do that. Next time it'll be all brand new music that we should all have in our Sound library. Sound of 2021. <laughs> okay, Tom Dunn, thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Thanks, so now we come to the TV movies streaming section of the selection box. Uh, I don't know if I've ever watched more TV in my entire life than I have in the last 12 months. I feel like I cleared Netflix and put my initials in at the end some time ago. Uh, They've installed a couple of new levels, but I'm not digging them. I don't know about you, but I'm finding it harder and harder to find decent things to watch. Two men that can solve that problem are with me now. Rory Cashin and Owen Doherty, thank you so much for joining me. I think I set you the task. Well, what was the task? You tell me, what was the task I set you this month for the selection box? It was to help people find stuff that maybe they haven't either seen or uh, even heard of, or if they had heard of it, they might think it's not for them and we're to correct them on that <laughs> we're, we're here to correct your opinion. Yeah, yeah I know opinion why I set that task. It's because of Bridgerton. Because mm-hmm. uh, yes. for me, I'm a little bit allergic to hype. Uh, and I've I've probably yeah, suffered That's as why you meet Rory on the show. No anytime, hype around us. Well, anytime anybody says something's really good, oh my God, you've got to watch this. I go, I'll be the judge of that. And I tend to veer away when everybody's going one direction. And as a result, I've probably missed a bunch of good stuff. Now, it seems unanimous that Bridgerton is a great thing. So <sighs> it felt like I, did, I don't know if we need to go over that again. People are aware of it. So maybe let's go beyond the radar. Things that maybe crossed your line of vision during uh, lockdown three and you just didn't quite register in the midst of all of this surge of stuff. Let's go to you first, Owen. Your first pick is one that hadn't crossed my radar at all. Okay, sweet. Happy days. That's good. Firstly, I'm in the non-unanimous kind of uh, camp for Bridgerton. I didn't love it, just to to put that out there as well, just in case you thought everybody did. You didn't Uh, love it. I, I didn't know. I thought it was fine. I think they got their timing perfect in, in terms of getting everybody captured at Christmas, like making a murderer. But I'd rather watch more making a murderer uh, than, than Bridgerton for me. But uh, yeah, the first recommendation that I was going to make, and, and in terms of the task you said of like, what could people do with in their lives? Uh, this was one I stumbled across by accident. Kept seeing it kind of pop up on Twitter and different things and be like, what? what is it? Lupin? L-U-P-I-N? Uh, it's a brand new five-part French series on Netflix. So it's not actually called Lupin. I've been reading it wrong. It's Lupin. Okay. Um, So are you telling me I'm going to have to read? (laughs) I'm afraid so. Uh, (laughs) We. It it was Bong Joon-ho. I know we've talked about this before on the podcast. Get over the the one inch of uh, subtitles. Get over that one inch barrier and you'll be sorted. Two options with this five part series. 
you can watch it with the dubbing on, but that is not recommended in any way whatsoever. Try and watch it with the with the original actors doing doing their actual voices in French and read it. Uh, it's just it's a much better experience. So essentially, uh, it's a French heist series. So it's full of mystery and thrills, and it's based on uh, a guy called Assan Diop, who's played by a French actor called Omar Sy, and he's a professional thief. It's modern day, and he is obsessed with this a character that I'd never heard of uh, called Arsène Lupin. Again, if we have any French-speaking listeners out there, je suis désolé well, for all the pronunciations. Let's throw up a little clip for people to listen to and see if they're joining us on YouTube. Uh, let's give a little look. I'm a janitor at the Louvre. The artwork that I clean, they're worth millions. Next Friday, a foundation will put a necklace up for auction. The necklace belongs to Marie Antoinette. We're gonna steal it. Go in as janitors and come out millionaires. Any questions? While we're risking our asses, what are you doing? Who, me? I'm buying the necklace. I love a good heist movie. I really do. Uh, and yep. I, I also love a good heist investigation. Is half mm. of this about them avoiding the police because to me that's the town you know that that movie to me is immensely rewatchable just because of the John Hamm cat and mouse element to it is that this this is 100% that and it's done with style and it's done with panache and the lead actor Omar Sy is just such a good screen presence because this character it's kind of like Sherlock meets Bond, meets that weird David Spade character he had a few years ago where the master of disguise. Okay. No, I'm not recommending that, but this no. is each episode he kind of changes his appearance and who he is. And the whole thing is directed, uh, a couple of the episodes are directed by a guy called Louis Leterrier, um, a French uh, director who also uh, did things like uh, Now You See Me. So it's all about the showmanship of the heist and the skill of getting away uh, whether it's a robbery or fooling the cops into think they're on to something. It's like, no, no, no. And at the last minute, he just pulls the rug out. Okay, from, uh, and you've watched the, the whole thing. Oh, like I binged it in about, well, <laughs> I binged in like two nights. But I'd say you could definitely, if you've got the evening free, the full five, five episodes. How long are the episodes? For about 45 minutes to an hour or so. Okay. So if you if you really like, I would love to rewatch it again. A word of warning, though, I was eating uh, a pack of mini eggs at the time, and what you will start to find is you start to speak with a little bit of a French accent, and they became mini oofs, things like this. So you'll start to <laughs> find this like kind of come into your life in this way. But it is so much fun. It's very Moorish and just so entertaining. You can just sit back, relax, and you'll be. Uh, I I think if you don't love this. You can. It's money back guarantee. Okay, oh, great. It's well, not my money. I mean, this it's not my bit, money though. This this no. section of uh, selection box for me is among my favourites because of the gambling element. I don't know if you <laughs> guys remember gambling. when extravision was the thing, and you went to extravision and you put your money down on this Robin Williams movie, and then the family would hold you accountable <laughs> for picking 100%. this movie. Uh, yeah. You sat there as if you directed it. You were defending the jokes, <laughs> laughing through it, going, "It's gonna get good. I think it's gonna be good." There is a little bit of that with you guys here, but that sounds like one that you're rock solid on Rory the undoing seems like uh, six to one on favourite at Leopardstown on Stephen's <laughs> day Nicole Kidman 
Yeah, Nicole Kidman, uh, Hugh Grant, Donald Sutherland, like an, an incredible cast. Oh, before we get too into it, I also didn't think Bridgerton was great. <gasps> <laughs> I thought it was good. And I think it was, again, very clever releasing it on Christmas Day. But I, <laughs> the mistake was you think, oh, like a Downton Abbey show on Christmas Day, I can watch this with the whole family. And literally 30 seconds into it, there's explicit writing. So, writing. Um, you know, um, really quick before we get into the undoing, um, uh, someone was, I think it was Laura Whitmore was pitching Bridgerton to me and saying that Nicola Coughlin's in it. And I said, you know, I think the whole show would have been way more successful if Nicola had maintained the same character from Derry Girls within Bridgerton. Just would have given a little twist. Like, how did she get there? What time machine did she use? It's just another aspect. That it's just an idea yeah, for season. That's a crossover. That yeah. I want to see. <laughs> the undoing uh, uh, straight away, Rory, when I watched the let's let's bring out a clip here. And then we'll talk about it and see if you can pick what my first thought was as to why I might not like this. this uh, is this in French or English? Let's yeah. yeah let's. It is. Uh, it's this is English. It's okay, good, good. It's good. all English going forward. Hi, Rita. See you at the arcade. Um, Jonathan Fraser, please. Is he a guest? Yes. I'm sorry, I'm not seeing a Jonathan Fraser. Would it be on another name? Hi, Place Independence. This is Jessica. Uh, Jonathan Fraser's room, please. I'm sorry. I don't see any reservation. <gasps> Hi, Cleveland Legacy. Could you put me through to Jonathan Fraser's room, please? Uh, can you spell that? Fraser. F R A S E R. Uh, yes. Transmitting you now. Hello? Uh, who is this? Who are you? Excuse me? Uh, can you um put me through to uh, Jonathan Fraser? My honest to God, things have gotten so serious since we last spoke that I do hit the couch in the evening and really puzzle over, is it comedy? Is it action? Because I don't know if I can take serious anymore. That's uh, fair. Is this mm-hmm. super serious, Rory? N- no, no. This is like like a page turner novel. This is like Gillian Flynn, like murder mystery stuff. Uh, it's not serious at all. It's set in like an affluent world of rich therapists and rich doctors and we're never uh, gonna be there it's fine, it's all fine. <laughs> no 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 it's it's all like aspirational stuff like it's a world like millionaires living in manhattan lofts and stuff and nicole kidman is at the center of it as a therapist who finds out that her loving husband who seems like a totally reasonable regular loving father may or may not have killed a woman he was having an affair with uh it just spirals out from there and every single episode ends with a plot twist where you're like, well, I can't not watch the next one. Mm. Uh, and unfortunately, I was watching it as it was coming out weekly. So at the end of every episode, I was like, God damn it! <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, I had seven days to wait, but uh, it's all available now to watch on Now TV or on Sky. Uh, I think it's only six episodes long. Is it? Um, yeah, so I need to have a Now TV subscription to find this. Or Sky, yeah. 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 It's because it was like a HBO show. So mm. that's that's how we get their shows over yeah, here. That's another question, though, isn't it? Is the Now TV package or Sky package worth it? 
Uh, I watched the Tiger Woods documentary and just loved it. Thought it was an incredible piece of uh, documentary making and had so many different angles on it that I would have paid for Now TV just to watch that this month. The HBO stuff that they get, do they get everything or? Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that, that's their outlet over here is Sky Atlantic and Now TV. So mm. that's that's the only place to get HBO, HBO stuff. Final question uh, on this one. Uh, really quick, Rory. Is it triggering at all? Like, is there stuff in this that I need to... I do think we need to ask that sometimes here when we're recommending things because there can be certain stuff in these things like Big Little... Was it Big Little Lies? Yeah. A certain amount of domestic abuse in that that... Yeah, you know, a tough watch. Uh, just as much as Bridgerton isn't for the family, do we need to flag anything with this? I think just just the circumstances surrounding the actual murder itself, but knowing going in that it's about a murder, I think there shouldn't be any nasty surprises along the way. The only surprises are like just the plot twists that you definitely will not see coming. Because I, I wrote a long article going, like, kind of leading out the odds who was the killer. And I was way off. Okay. So way off. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm on board. Uh, I'll buy my Now TV package tonight. <laughs> and, uh, uh, we'll do it. Owen, oh, back to you for my favourite teen movie of the last few years. And yes. I went to see this in London for the Cinemile podcast, which is just a really fun podcast uh, where a couple, an Irish couple living in England, review movies on the walk home, on the mile walk home from the cinema. It's, it's a lot nice, of fun. Nice. They took me to see Booksmart and I was so happy to see you recommend this. What, What is the pitch here? Okay, so this is... Well, first of all, your reaction is is pretty much standard. Everyone who does have a chance to see this ends up falling in love with this movie. And it doesn't just become like, hey, you should watch this. It actually becomes, I think this is genuinely one of my favorite films of all time. I watched it again <laughs> okay. when it was released the other day. And I was just like, my God, I keep pausing it just to go, I love this film so much, which I know can be incredibly irritating. But the pitch is, um, yeah, it's it's fallen into the, the kind of the genre of American teen high school movies. And uh, we're focusing on two girls, uh, Molly and Amy, uh, brilliantly, brilliantly played by uh, Beanie Feldstein. Sorry about the pronunciations again. They're not in French, but they're still just hard names to pronounce. Uh, Beanie Feldstein, who plays Molly, and Catelyn Dever, who plays uh, Amy. Two girls, it's the usual crack, you know, it's, it's the it's the last day of high school, their graduation is coming up, and they suddenly have uh, this amazing revelation, and it's lovely we twist on the genre, where they realise that even though they've been the nerds and the stews and working so hard all year and all throughout their, their school kind of life uh, to get into good colleges and good schools, it turns out that everybody else who was having the crack and having fun and messing around and getting into trouble, turns out they've all got into like amazing places like Yale and Harvard and Columbia as well. And they're, they're completely flabbergasted. They're like, what? So they make a promise to themselves like, do you know what? We have to go out tonight to the last big high school party of the year before our graduation. And it's basically the story of them discovering that information and their journey through the night up until their graduation. So um, it's just uh, oh, like I, I don't believe in reincarnation, but I think if I was reincarnated, I'd like to come back as like one of the two girls in this film as just like go to an American teen <laughs> high school. It's just 
the, even just to live through this one night, which is incredible, it's directed by Olivia Wilde and it's her uh, feature film directorial debut. And uh, she's just not, I would just retire now. It's just like, let's, let's pop it up. It let's let's let people have a, have a little yeah, listen yeah. and a watch of a little clip from Booksmart. We have to go to a party tonight. What? Nobody knows that we are fun. We didn't party because we wanted to focus on school and get into good colleges. And it worked. But the irresponsible people who partied also got into those colleges. I'm incredible at hand jobs, but I also got a 1560 on the SATs. We haven't done anything. We haven't broken any rules. Name one person whose life was so much better because they broke a couple of rules. Picasso. He broke art rules. Rosa Parks. Name another one. Susan B. Anthony. Picture this, I'm a bag of dicks, put me to your lips. Hand sanitizer, chat, chapstick, chat, mace. Listen, it is very important that you keep the safe. I'm with you on the I needed to go to an American high school and I totally have uh, taught that all my life. And it's partially because I went to Newbridge and it was wet and the arse of your trousers was constantly wet. That was the feeling. And I remember watching a lot of these movies as a youngster like this going the weather they're getting great weather (laughs) (laughs) for starters just on the basis of it being sunny I am in love with high school movies maybe we could look at doing a top 10 because there's so many great ones but this one really does curve the ball with the just the nerd ideal being flipped and that idea that it turns out being a really good kid was a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't know what you were like in school, but I was I was a stu- I was a nerd. I was a student, oh. and like it was like like, but it was like it's okay. You can have fun as well as long as you don't get caught having the fun. That's fine. Um, but like this, just the the moment of realization is an incredible scene when they realize that literally every other person has just done done so well. So you've got an amazing supporting cast there, uh, comedy cast in terms of uh, Lisa Kudrow, Will Forte, uh, Jason Sudeikis, the principal of their school, who just doesn't give a toss about them anymore <laughs> and he it. pops back up yeah he pops back up at the film and some more brilliant scenes but i remember um myself and rory whenever this came out in 2019 and rory saw it before me and was like you need you need to see this film and like again watching it one of the one i know rory, one of our favorite things about it is there's there's a whole series of uh other just minor characters that that always populate these kind of teen high school movies but they're usually cardboard cutouts you know cookie cutter type characters and in, in other movies but in this one you would happily, happily watch a whole film about oh, yeah. each and every other one. But my favorite is a girl called Gigi, who just <laughs> pops up throughout the night <laughs> with no explanation. And again, uh, I don't want to sound like one of those people who like just talks about all their favorite moments. Of it, but it, again, money back guarantee. There's the Owen Doherty money back guarantee. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Owen Doherty lock. Um, yeah. again, Gigi's only... brother is my favorite. Uh, oh, um, I want to bring Gary. Rory in here on this because they movie didn't do great it Mm-mm. was even regarded as a bomb at the box office part of it was a little bit of anti-olivia wilde stuff that this wealthy woman was kind of pressurizing people to support women in cinema and there was a little bit of dialogue on twitter over this movie that rubbed people the wrong way 
Some people said part of it was calling the movie Booksmart. And I'd have to agree that that title, if you were listening to this now, going, I'm not watching a movie called Booksmart. That wasn't mm. the crack of American high school. Uh, it needs to be uh, super bad or uh, about pies. <laughs> this, sure. Th- 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 am, I, am I remembering that correctly, Rory? Is that is that what happened to this movie? Well, it was a few different things. One was it was released on the same opening weekend as I think like two or three other big movies and it just kind of sank mm. against them. Um, there is a thing that they do in America called kind of a, a long lead release where they'll show it in LA and New York for a few weeks. It'll build huge word of mouth momentum and then it spreads across America and everyone goes to see it. Like a virus. That's it, precisely, yes. Um, and that that works for films that are really, really good and they know word of mouth is going to be so much cheaper than actual promoting the mm. movie. And that's not what they did with this film. They just dumped it in uh, cinemas against like big blockbusters and horror films. So it just kind of tanked. And yeah, I do think the promotional and title side of it just wasn't uh, very clever. Because like Owen and I, we we seen the trailer when it came out first. We're like, mm-hmm. and then when you actually sit down and watch the film, you're like, that was great. And that's happened a few times with comedies lately. Uh, blockers and game night bad trailers and films end up being very very funny yeah yeah okay well let's go on to your uh final choice uh what's it gonna be roy it's a horror film called underwater speaking of a film that was just kind of dumped it was originally made in 2017 and then disney bought fox and disney didn't know what to do with this film because disney (laughs) don't do sign disney don't do horror at all so they're just like, and threw it out into the cinemas in January last year. And uh, just before, I guess, everything started locking down with no real promotion behind it whatsoever. So it kind of sank without trace on a water joke. Um, nice. Thank you. Yeah, but it's uh, it, it borrows so much from Alien. And if anyone knows me, Alien and Aliens are two of my favorite films of all time. So I could be coming at this from a biased point of view, but they twist the formula just enough that you're not like, well, this is just a ripoff. It's set at the bottom of the ocean on a huge uh, underwater oil rig, basically. Uh, It stars Kristen uh, Stewart. Not a fan. Uh, Oh, well, (sighs) I used I I get in there early with that because Tina has pointed out a few times that she does a lot of exhalation acting, which Mm. I don't know. Is that a method? (laughs) A lot of... uh, and it's just like that's not you're not really doing anything there it seems a little one note and you know maybe I've got her all wrong maybe this is the movie that she's destined to make but I I think it's a tough watch with her in it and I know that that makes me biased but you know everyone's going to have certain actors that they're not in on absolutely like yes of course like I feel that way about Shia LaBeouf I just can't deal with him being in front of me for any <laughs> prolonged amount of time but um, like I appreciate that and I do know some people just think especially based off Twilight and a few other things that she's done that she can't act but she has done a remarkable uh, career 180 I think lately where she's picked some very clever projects that definitely uh, play to her strengths this was something that's a bit of an outlier because it's a big sci-fi horror uh, and she's obviously trying to be like a modern Ellen Ripley she does her best, but it's not really so much about her as it is about the explanation behind 
the 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 attacks on their underwater uh, okay. oil rig. Let's hear Is a little bit and see a little bit of this underwater alien movie. All right, I don't want to scare anyone, but once we get to the deck, we're going to have to jump to the cargo lift. Okay, here we go. Shit. Exterior hatch, it's ripped straight. Everybody get ready. Hang on to something, because pressure's going to hit us hard. Override it. As long as it opens, we'll be fine. Captain, I don't know what's going on with this thing. Well, keep trying. Where do we go? Guys, what's going on? Keep the door closed. Keep that door closed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where, where the hell am I going to see this? I mean, I'm looking at it here. I pulled it up on Wikipedia and a budget of 80 million returning 40 at the box office. So, yeah, e comes out, as you say, January 10th. 2020 and that was the first thing i thought when you sent me the trailer was this is ages ago this is a long time ago uh, what what where would we see this and rory honestly why would we want to see this well if you're a horror movie fan this is right up your street if you're a fan of alien or aliens or any of those kind of big sci-fi movies this again will bring you back to some of the memories of the better ones for sure the special effects scenes and the, the kind of action sequences are done fantastically well. Uh, even for a budget of 80 million, it looks like it costs about twice as much. Mm. It looks really, really good. And the the central premise is one that I thought Hollywood hasn't done ever. It's, it's a well-known property, but I've never seen a big budget Hollywood movie do it before. So when it's finally revealed as to what the cause of it all is, I was like, oh, they've done it. They've absolutely, they've finally done it. And it is a kind of a perfect mix of action and horror, which is, you know, just right up my street. And to answer your first question, it's on Now TV and the Sky Store. Okay, right. Well, um, I assume that Now TV are now going to sponsor the podcast from this point <laughs> forward. I, I love Netflix, talking to you guys. I really do love these chats. And uh, if people want to follow you and get more recommendations from you, where can they do that? Twitter at Doherty Owen. E-O-G-H-A-N. Uh, that's the handiest place to get me. Give me a shout. And I'm Twitter as well. Uh, Roar. So like a line. E-Cashin. Roar E-Cashin. Okay, great boys. Well, we'll see you next month. And I think that maybe we need to do some some sleeper hits. I have, I, ha, I actually did get the Now TV package. Uh, just, just the movies over Christmas because we stayed here in England. And there are a few real little diamonds in the rough in there and I think that is what this section of the show is largely turning into where do we find these little diamonds under the in this swathe of uh, of just stuff you've given us four cracking recommendations this month and I can't wait to hear the ones next month so take care of yourselves stay safe and stay home lads bye bye au revoir au revoir Christian Brothers School 
So I waved it goodbye with a wistful smile And I left the girls of June And sometimes when I'm reminiscing I see the prefabs and my old friends And I know that they'll be changed all gone By the time I get home again And I wish I was under Traveling with just my thoughts 